Hey, Monte Wesleyan, great to see you this morning. And as you're just getting back into your seats and getting all settled in there for a great message, just a few things that I want to share with us this morning. First of all, let me say a huge, ginormous thank you for your response to last Sunday's message. And uh, way to go. It was awesome. Thank you for all the kind emails that you've been sharing with me, people I've been bumping into who just keep... Uh, uh, you know, thanking me and, and just, just saying nice things. And, and uh, thank you for the tremendous response, the way people are stepping up. Uh, those of you who are, who are starting to tie, then just beginning that journey. It's just been a fantastic response. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, and I believe that our best days are ahead of us. And uh, really, really excited about that. Uh, also, huge week coming up this week with uh, Good Friday service. And I uh, want you to take those invite cards and get those out this week. And uh, Good Friday services at 1030. And then the Bunny Blast on Saturday. And then Easter Sunday with the Weebs and Craig Evans being here with us. Really looking forward to that. And Easter Sunday morning, we are hoping to have and praying for the largest offering we have ever had in our church's history. This is where we really want to make up the difference on that debt that I mentioned last Sunday. And uh, so I'm telling you now so that on Easter Sunday, when all of our visitors and guests are here, I won't have to, uh, I won't have to talk a whole lot about the whole giving thing. So uh, we need you this week to pray about that and to consider uh, what you might be able to give. And we're hoping to wipe out the deficit from this year and finish strongly and then go into next year uh, flying and being able to do the ministry that God's called us to do. So Easter Sunday morning, uh, largest offering in our church's history, and it's going to be exciting. And uh, pray with us for hundreds of changed lives, that the message of Easter will get through to people and that people will respond. And uh, we're just so excited about about Easter this year at Moncton Westland. All right, well, I want to introduce our guest speaker this morning. He's not really a guest. This is his home church. He is our district superintendent, Dr. H.C. Wilson. And uh, you are in for a special treat this morning. And like I said last week, when he wasn't here, one of the uh, best communicators, bar none, that we have in our denomination anywhere. And a personal word on Dr. Wilson. He has been a mentor of mine uh, in ministry for the past 20-some years. Uh, someone who I look up to, someone who I highly value. Uh, he's been a tremendous help to Gayla and I in our ministry. Uh, he's in my corner. I love him, support him, appreciate him. And uh, hey, Moncton Wesson, go nuts. Put your hands together. Let's welcome Dr. H.C. Wilson this morning. Thank you very much for the kind uh, remarks, Tim, that he doesn't even know I'm saying that, but thanks for the kind remarks and to you for the response. It's a privilege to be here this morning on this Palm Sunday morning and have this opportunity to share with you. I do want to take a moment to express appreciation to the Moncton Wesleyan Church from the Atlantic District for your long-time, consistent, and significant support of the various ministries of the district. Thank you for the opportunity to partner with you for the cause of the gospel. So thank you very much for that. Some while ago, I came across a little clip. Some of you may have seen this that's told me this. The Japanese people eat little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. The French eat a lot of fat. They also, however, suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. The Italians, they drink a lot of red wine. They also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or the Americans. So what's the conclusion of this? Eat and drink whatever you like. It's speaking English that kills you. <laughs> but, 
that's the best I can do. So you'll have to, you'll have to get by with the English. I do bring you greetings from the worldwide tribe of the Wesleyan Church. We are only a small piece of the great tapestry that God is doing around the world, but we are a piece of it. And so we have brothers and sisters in the Wesleyan tribe in more than 90 countries around the world, and they will meet together today. And if you could drop in on those places, you would find an amazing variety in style of worship and in music and in length of service, and in dress, and in culture, and in language. But we are all one through the power of Christ. And while in those places around the world, the service theme and the preaching in all of those places would vary widely from one Sunday to the next. But they'd all be the same today. The Christian church around the world today is all focused on this Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. All hearts and all minds are focused there. The opening event of Holy Week, which leads up to Good Friday and then next Sunday to the great incredible announcement that he is not here. He is risen, the pivot point of our faith. And this is the week we celebrate Holy Week culminating next Sunday. This is the pivot point of our faith. Without this week, Christmas has no meaning. Christmas is just a baby showing up in a barn one day if it is not capped off by Easter and by Holy Week. And so we are in a very significant time and season of the Christian calendar. It's a long time ago that Tony Compolo preached a very famous sermon entitled, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But the Easter Sunday that's coming that was the heart of that message, that concludes next week. But Palm Sunday that we observe today, that begins this epic journey. I want to read to you about it, part of which you've already heard this morning once, and we shall now hear it again from the 21st chapter of Matthew. The words, I believe, will appear on the screen. Listen to this reading, please. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle, and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this?
Who is this? They asked. Life is full of questions, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Some deeply serious, some not so much. Will the Leafs ever win the cup again? Huh. Will, will you have dinner with me? Or if it gets more serious, will you marry me? If you're following international news at all this week, you may have said to yourself, how could the massacre in Rwanda 20 years ago right now have happened? How could have a million people lost their lives in three months with one Christian tribe killing another Christian tribe? How could this happen? There's the epic question of the Philippian jailer asked in the book of Acts. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The police call and some family members have been in an accident and your first question is likely, will they survive? Your kids are in trouble. They call you on the phone. You know they're disturbed and upset and you may ask, are you safe? How many times this month have you asked the question, what really happened to the Malaysian Airlines Flight 870, that 777 Boeing jet that seems to have vanished? What actually happened? To that. Many of us have or will someday say to a medical professional, Doctor, is it terminal? We've been asking for quite a while in recent weeks. Will spring ever come? If you happen to have your TV on last Monday night and watch the election returns from Quebec, I would say to you, Will you surprised by the election in Quebec? Is it a boy or a girl? We anxiously ask. And then, is it healthy? And then there are the deeper questions of our life. How much is enough? Or Rick Warren's great question, what on earth are you here for? Or a question we may one day face at the gates of heaven when some angel may say to us, who have you brought with you? And there was Pilate's intriguing question. Five days after the who is this question was being answered, Pilate looked at the great screaming crowd and said, What shall I do with Jesus? Which is called the Christ. And from today's passage, who is this? And who was asking that question? People who were caught up in the crowd mentality. Looks like they're having a party down the road, cutting down branches, spreading them on the street. Let's go down there and join in the party. By the way, who is this? Jumping on the bandwagon, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday shouted crucify on Friday. Because he who seeks strength from the crowd has got his priorities misplaced. Real strength in life, ladies and gentlemen, comes from following the Christ, not following the crowd. A Chinese proverb, an old Chinese proverb says, a wise person makes their own decision. An ignorant person follows public opinion. And those who followed Christ, who were there that day, if you follow the rest of Matthew 21, you'll discover that this is what was going on. The Bible says the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, they were indignant. So some were praising and some were not very happy in answering the question, who is this? But he was the one 
He came to reconcile and redeem and restore and recover and return and renew and regenerate and resurrect. And he came to rattle the plastic religion of the Pharisees of his day and ours. That's who he is. He came to forgive and to forget. He came to seek and to save. He came to heal and to help. He came to die and rise again. And in answer to the who is this question, he himself stood in the synagogue in his hometown and read these words from Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has appointed me, Christ said, to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. Who is this? This is the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. This is the only person ever born of a woman without a man in it, very God and very man. And as if answering the who is this question, you too in one of their songs said, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame. Urban legend has it, that Benjamin Franklin was asked one time about the key to success. He is reported to have outlined four things. Do what you say you will do. Finish what you start. Be on time. Say please and thank you. Do what you say you will do. Who is this? This is a Messiah that we serve, ladies and gentlemen, who did what he said he would do. He himself said in Matthew's gospel, don't misunderstand, Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And the law was intended to provide a path to right standing with God and the forgiveness of sins, but it required sacrifices to be offered. The animal that was to be sacrificed or the bird that was to be sacrificed varied according to the gravity of the sin and the financial capacity of the person who needed forgiveness. But there always was a sacrifice to be offered. Would you find forgiveness? And that is how the entire Old Testament structured and operated. And then here comes this one who said, I didn't come to violate the law or abolish it, but I came to fulfill it. To become the once and for all sacrifice for all the sins of all humankind for all time and open a path of personal and direct relation to God the Father. What an amazing idea. And what did he do? He did what he said he would do. He fulfilled the law. He also said about himself, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church around the world Ladies and gentlemen, it's dynamic, diverse, devoted, and determined. It is powerful, prophetic, passionate, and some places persecuted. It's a place of safety, a place of salvation, a place of second chances, and a place that's waiting for the second coming. The local church is the hope of the world. He did what he said he would do. He built a church. He also said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you 
into all truth. And ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is amazingly active in this place, in the lives of many of you, miraculously engaged with the worldwide church. And he's never left us. He did what he said he would do, send another counselor. So the pattern, which could be illustrated again and again, seems fairly clear to me. If we would be Christ's followers, then we will do what we say we will do. That's what he did with our faith and our family and our finances. With our promises and our passions and our priorities. With our marriage partner and our business partner. With our children and with our commitments and in matters of character. With our time and with our tongue And with the payment of our taxes, if we will follow his example, we will do what we say we will do. If you study the New Testament of this person about whom they said, who is this? Find the promises in the New Testament, read through them, and determine whether or not he kept his word. You'll discover that the promises he made were or are being kept. His promises will stand scrutiny. I want it to be said of me that the promises I am making and make with my life will stand scrutiny. That I will do what I say I will do. Who is this? This is a Messiah who did what he said he would do. He kept his word. And because he kept his word, we're here this morning in truth. Also said, finish what you start. (laughs) Finish what you start. Who can doubt that he did that? His very last words, spoken before he drew his last human breath, were three words that were loaded with our redemption and the full payment of our sin when he said, It is finished. For 40 days of temptation on the front end of his ministry, all the way through to a sense of dread so intense that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in Gethsemane, This Savior of ours, he finished what he started. And as if to punctuate his final decision, when he's cried, it is finished, it was midday then. But the sky, the the sun disappeared and the sky turned heavy black, black. And the veil of the temple was split in two from top to bottom. In the Old Testament era, if you wanted to approach the Holy of Holies, you came and talked to the priest, and the priest was allowed to go behind the Holy of Holies, but there was no direct access from common people like you and me. There was no direct access to God himself. But when the veil of the temple was split in two after Christ said, it is finished, it opened for us a path that will never close, where we may approach him ourselves directly, openly in communion with the creator of the universe. How incredible is that? The soldiers who stood nearby were caught up in this eternal drama and they cried out, truly, truly this man was the son of God. It was finished. Not incomplete in any way. Not in process to be wrapped up later. Not in doubt, not delayed in shipping, not partially finished, but fully finished and complete in every way. Finished. And the Apostle Paul mirrored this whole finishing factor when he himself said, approaching his death, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have remained faithful. I have a little clipping here I'm going to read to you in just a minute that's entitled, The Greatest Last Place Finish Ever. Mexico City, 1968, the Olympic Games were going on. And it says this, out of the darkness he came, John Stephen Arquari of Tanzania entered at the far end of the stadium, pain hobbling his every step, his leg bloody and bandaged. The winner of the Olympic marathon had been declared over an hour earlier. Only a few spectators remained, but the lone runner pressed on. As he crossed the finish line, the small crowd still there roared out its acceptance. Afterward, a reporter asked the runner why he had not retired from the race since he had no chance of winning. He seemed confused by the question. Finally, he answered, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start this race. My country sent me here to finish this race. And ladies and gentlemen, the Master did not redeem us to start this journey. His grace is sufficient to assure that we will have the strength necessary to finish this journey. Christ finished what he started, ladies and gentlemen, and it's always too soon to quit. Finish what you start. Oh, the roadblocks, they'll be there, and the detours will be attractive, and the rest areas will be inviting. Pressure to quit the race will gnaw at the edges of our soul. There'll be easy days. There'll be hard days. There'll be times when his presence is so real and powerful, you feel as if you could reach out and touch him physically. And there'll be other times when the heavens seemed like brass and if God had turned off a hearing aid, if he had one, and gone on vacation and he is strangely silent. There will be moments when friends pat us on the back and there will be times when people we thought were friends will stab us in the back. But we are part of the finishing tribe. We follow a Messiah who is not a quitter. He was described in the Bible as the author and the finisher of our faith. Who is this? This is a Messiah that finished what he started. And if we would follow him, we will do the same. Be on time was the third of these things that Franklin mentioned. Pastor Buckingham and I have been friends since 1917, kind of. Seems like long time. We've had coffee together. I have no. We, we all could have retired much earlier. We hadn't spent so much money on coffee back in those early days, and all of that kind of stuff. And always had this fetish about being on time, right? I mean, it was it was as if if Buckingham was a minute late, the world would stop, and the planets would go out of orbit, and everything would just be really bad. And he and I served on the district board of administration for our district together for years. And back in 1978, (laughs) I was three years old then. Back in 1978, I was elected as secretary of the district board, so I'm keeping the minutes. One of the things you do in the minutes, of course, you report who's in attendance, right? On the very first meeting that I was secretary, Buckingham was two minutes late. Just amazingly good fortune for me, not so much for him. So I added a new line on the minutes, members late, L.D. Buckingham, 10.02, put it right in there. 
<laughs> it never happened again, but it's never been forgotten either. And even now, all these years later, whoever's district secretary now <laughs> still has a line in there, members late, just in case somebody comes in late, being on time. Paul the Apostle said, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, when the right time came. He was on time, ladies and gentlemen. He never comes too late, bringing too little. He always comes just in time, bringing just enough. And this is not about showing up on time for an appointment, although that's good. This is about time at an altogether deeper level. You can look at your watch and record seconds and minutes and hours and say it's 9.15 or it's 2.30 or whatever it is. And we do that sort of mechanical kind of stuff all the time. But there's a much deeper meaning to this word time. The converging of various circumstances that blend together to create a truly unique sense that this is the time. It's time to change my lifestyle. Time to own up to what I did. Time to ask that girl to marry me. It's time to take this business risk. And facing the crucifixion reality, Jesus said, Father, the time has come. This is about understanding the truth of God's great kindness. The Bible says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the Bible goes on, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you do not know the melody of his voice in a personal level, and he is not your savior at the deepest core of your life, there's never a wrong time to invite Christ into your life. He is here now. This could be your time. Nelson Mandela reminded us, we must forever realize that the time is always right to do what is right. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I cannot fathom the mercy of God, and I do not have the mental horsepower to understand and explain to you the providences of the Master. I cannot do those things. But the word here seems to suggest he may not always be near. And he may not always be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. And if you hear him now, if he's gently nudging your spirit or whispering in your ear right now, listen, please, don't squander this moment. It's time. Yesterday is history, the old saying goes, and tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. And you have the present of this day. It's time. Who is this? This is a Messiah who is always on time. Say please and thank you. At the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John 11, Jesus said, Father, thank you for hearing me. At the feeding of the 5,000 recorded both in Mark and again in John's gospel, after the, the elements were brought to him, what had been found, five loaves and two fishes, before they were broken and distributed to the crowd, it says, Jesus gave thanks to his Father. And he is still listening and hearing us when we cry out to him. For this we can be thankful. 
Perhaps it is one of the greatest understated blessings we have in belonging to God's family is that the God of all creation is listening to us. Strange, profound. You ever try to call the mayor? Ever try to get a hold of the premier on the phone? How about the prime minister? Ever call him? What about the governor general? Ever try to reach the governor general? Try to reach him on the phone? Do you ever try to call the queen? Have a little chat with her. We are her subjects after all. Have you called her lately? Did she answer the phone and say, hi, this is Liz. May I help you? I mean no disrespect to any of those people, but compared to the God we serve, they're lesser lights. And they will not take my call, but he will. And Elizabeth II, by the grace of God... That's what it says about our Queen Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, she may not take my call, but the God who gives her grace will take my call. He's available to all of us on speed dial. And how amazing is that? And how peculiar are we if we don't exercise that incredible right to talk to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Just saying please and thank you. Two of the most profound things we can ever say to the Master, really, are please... Forgive me and thank you for forgiving me. Who is this? This is a Messiah who says, please and thank you. Do what you say you will do. Finish what you start. Be on time. Say please and thank you. If we would consider who is this, this Palm Sunday Jesus that we serve, That's who he is. And how many wonderful things he has become to us. And sometimes we don't even quite understand what all of those are. So before I pray with you briefly, I want you to listen now to a song entitled Peacemaker that will tell us about some of the things he is to us. Listen and identify yourself in this long litany of blessings for he is here and he is listening. Peacemaker. Tear dryer, 
Thank you, Father dear, for all you are to us. So many of these things that have been listed in this song have been applied to the lives of so many of us. May we never be ungrateful. We thank you for who you are, and we recommit ourselves to emulate you in every area of our life. Thank you for Palm Sunday.